You're listening to Travel Bubble with me, Matty Dias. The world's locked down and travelling isn't really an option. So I thought, why not do the next best thing and talk about it? From living all over the world to working as a tour guide, I've seen some amazing places and met some great people. Each week, I'll speak to globetrotters and industry professionals about their travel bubble choices to provide you with post-lockdown inspiration and top travel tips. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Travel Bubble with me, Matty Dias. Welcome to listeners old and new, wherever you are in the world. I am currently in Holt Whistle, the centre of Britain. Where I'm currently on a Hadrian's Wall tour and I thought I'd keep going with this, these intros and outros on the go, which gives a bit of spice to the intros I suppose and also uh, keeps the show on the road as well um, now I'm tall leading all summer it means I can go out and about and I don't have to worry about being back in Cornwall recording my intros and stuff so uh, it's all good here Hadrian's Wall is nice, it's not been raining yet uh, it's still there 1,900 years later it's still, still going strong great feedback from last week's episode with Harry one of the most travelled men in the world. If you haven't listened to that, go back and do it now. You'll enjoy it. Get some get some tips from the person who's been there and done that, been everywhere. And that being said, you can go back and listen to any episode you want. Pick a name, pick an episode title, pick a, pick a picture that you like, and go back and jump in. They'll never go out of date. And you'll get, get travel tips and travel inspiration for for future reference we go back and jump right in and if you wanted to support the podcast there's a few ways of doing that you can follow us on facebook and instagram travel bubble podcast or you can um, share our post tell your friends about travel bubble or if you wanted to donate to us financially you can go on uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash travel bubble or you can find all that information at the travelbubblepodcast.com website but I'm actually in a graveyard at the minute and I don't want to loiter in a graveyard so I'll be quick about it today. I'm going to get right into episode 45 and it's with a guy that I'm lucky enough to call a friend of mine, uh, Phil McAllister, or Philip McAllister. Um, I met him through Intrepid, he's, he's a fellow tour leader. But Philip's lived a really interesting life. He's been everywhere, he's, he leads tours for other companies such as Wild Frontiers. He's been all over Africa, the Middle East. He's driven driven everywhere, done over, overlanding. He's, he currently lives in Madrid and he does hiking tours and does running tours. He's really, really good at his job. Uh, and he's lived a thousand lives. And I'm really looking forward to sharing, sharing him with you and letting him share his tales with you. The episode title is Throw Off The Bowlines, which Philip will talk about in more depth towards the end of the interview. But it's a great chat today. I'll apologise in advance for the audio quality on my end. It, was, it wasn't great. I've done the best, best I can to try and sort it out. Uh, but um, don't let that put you off because Philip actually... I've, I have like a programme that tells me the percentages of the, how much I talk and how much Philip talks. And I think Philip talks 90% of the time, which is only a good thing. He's a great guy. Without further ado, episode 45, Throw Off the Bowlines with the wonderful Philip McAllister. Hello, Phil. How are you doing? I'm great, Maddie. How are you? Lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you. Welcome to Travel Bubble. Um, for our listeners, where in the world are you right now? I'm in uh, Madrid, Spain. That's home for me now. Perfect. You don't sound too Spanish. No, I'm uh, I'm actually Irish, but uh, this is where I ended up after many years on the road. Um, this is home now, but I'm yeah, I'm from I'm from little town between Dublin and Belfast in Ireland. Perfect. And Phil, why do you? I'll start off with the big hitters, big hitting questions. Why do you think I've been mithering you to come be a guest on on uh, Travel Bubble? Well, myself, well, we, for our listeners, I know you through Intrepid because we're both Intrepid. Uh, tour leaders and I'm a tour leader with 
a few other companies as well. And and uh, we met and this podcast seems to be all about travel and people who've traveled. And, uh, and I've been basically on the road since I left school at 18, more or less. And I've been all over, all over the shop. I've been and lived uh, on most continents and I've traveled in, yeah, over a hundred countries, you know, before the pandemic. And yeah, so, so I presume that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. You, fair to say you're well-traveled. I've been around, I've been around, but then when you asked me to think about this, this uh, podcast, I realized just how much more there is and how much more I want to see. I'm not, I'm not at all finished, but I feel like I've seen a lot, but that's still only scratching the surface of the yeah. world. So how so did, diverse, so huge. How did it come about then? So you left school. What what was the first like journey? What 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 kicked you off? Yeah, uh, the first journey was very interesting. But first, I want to say that you know my my brother was in a van, got a van uh, with a mate, and they left home when I was like fourteen. I remember vividly watching them drive off in a Volkswagen Combi, and they were heading for Australia by road, obviously by road and see in whatever way possible. And they were totally unprepared. And the journey, the trip was a, a disaster, but a brilliant disaster. And, and, and a one they'll never forget and one we still hear stories about. But I think they made it to Syria all the way through Europe. They ended up driving through uh, Serbia when it was being bombed by NATO. And they ended up getting help from a BBC journalist. Then they ended up uh, getting to Syria, not knowing that there was crazy stuff going on there too. And they ended up to get into the country, no visas. They ended up giving their van uh, as payment and ended up walking in. And they, that was the end of the van trip, but they continued <laughs> on. To Pakistan and into India, I think they made it to Australia eventually. But anyway, so that that really was the inspiration. I kind of was like, wow, that's that's possible. You can do that. And uh, I always had it in the back of my mind like to to follow in their footsteps. And uh, And then when I was about... 20, I got an invitation to go to Kenya and uh, Kenya was the germ of everything because I went there and a friend who lived down there, he's now a very good friend, but at the time he was just an acquaintance. He said, oh, come and visit us in Kenya. And I was like, oh, great. I'd love to. So went down with a friend and he threw us in the deep end and sent us off with his Maasai people, left us there for a week. And it just was a real eye opener, just that there's so much of the world I grew up not knowing and not being told about one for one example, Black Africa. And, and I realized there's so much out here to see so that was another uh, itch that needed scratching and then I went back and kind of got back into the programmed living of ah, maybe I should study a bit maybe I should get a job that didn't last long a few years working in advertising before I I went no I, I gotta leave again and I I got on a boat from Dublin uh, and I said I'm going back to Africa and I went over land went over to England knocking on doors of, of, of friends and family and then over to France and through the whole of Europe through the Middle East Syria Jordan Lebanon the whole lot, Egypt into Sudan, and I made my way. Uh, uh, that time I didn't actually make it to Kenya. I ended up going Ethiopia, Yemen, uh, and then Oman, and then into Iran, but that's another story. But anyway, I ended up, Kenya was the start and end of everything, and I've always been going back to Africa. So that was the start of it, and then it took me years more. I've been in South, Southeast Asia, I've been in, in South America, I've done lots of overland trips. And then when I probably reached around 100 countries, I figured I should probably be paid for this. So and that's when I started my career in, uh, in tour leading. Okay. So, so how did you make that jump into tour leading then? What was the the first? Um, yeah, really just kind of cold called some agencies. So I think obviously some traveler you meet on the road says, oh, I do tours for these people. And then you, you, you get the email and you write and say, look, are you guys hiring? And obviously the phone you have an interview and uh, I think what they're looking for is experience on the road, people who can solve problems and anyone who's traveled across a lot of borders and seen their fair share of drama and, and excitement and danger. Um, that's the kind of people that are good for tour leading because if something happens, people need your problem fixed problem solvers and problem solvers need to fix things that happen without uh, having, you know, without having seen them coming. So, yeah. And then I, I, I and I love it. I love what we do, Matty. Uh, it's been obviously a, at a go slow for the last few years. And I've had kids in the meantime, or kid, another one on the way. But so I'm kind of coming a little bit slower now. I'm, I'm landing after 20 odd years on the move, um, but I'm still not finished. I still want to do a bit more leading and I but keep my foot in a little bit. Um, but Mostly I've, I've seen a lot and there's a lot more I want to see, but uh, just on a little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of a break. Yeah, that's interesting. So how's the transition? Because you've obviously got it in your blood now. It's part of you as a person. Yeah. How's that 
I know they're probably the kids' help and the one on the way. How's that taking the foot off the gas? It's actually perfect. I mean, as I said, I'd seen a lot. So uh, the memories I have are sustaining me well. I mean, uh, you know, travel for me, it's, ever, it's, it's really, it is in our blood. And it's funny because the memories that pop into your head in the strangest moments, you'll know walking down the street and you just got this little smile on your face because something from a time you were in Cameroon or Congo or something drops into your mind and you just smile and say, no, there's no even comments. It's just a feeling. It feels yeah. good. So for me, slowing down is absolutely fine. But uh, I still want to travel. And now I have a family. We're planning on, um, I've been traveling with my wife. We drove to China together in a, in a van, took us nearly two years. And now we have kids. We're thinking of heading off. We're thinking of buying a van and heading off and continuing. So the lifestyle is going to continue, even though the even though our lifestyles have, have changed slightly with more responsibilities. We've got to think about educating kids on the road. But for my wife's the same mindset, we got to go. We got to keep you know, I want our kids to see what, you know, what we, what we have seen out there in the world and earlier and sooner and maybe be educated out there. Yeah, so yeah. the plan is yeah. to continue. The plan isn't to stop and say, oh, put up, hang up my boots. I'm uh, I'm I'm as hungry as ever. I'm 43 now. Um, no, I'm probably not as hungry forever. I probably was hungry when I was 23. <laughs> but that's not to say I, there's still places I want to go and places I want to go back to. It's not about counting countries. It's not about the only reason I know it's 100 is because. I have to do it for CVs and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, it, it, there's so much more to see. And it's all about trying to save a bit of money to hit the road. But uh, we like, we're, we're van people now. We want to hit the road and travel over land, over long distances and, and uh, cross borders. And I think what, all we've heard is that with a family, it's even better. More doors open, more kindness from strangers and uh, people love kids. So if I can, if we can make that happen in the next few years, that's what we'll do. We'll head off again. Yeah, well, like, you, like you said, one of the, your in, in, inspirational moments was your brother when you were 14. So imagine yeah. your kids, if they have that at three or four, and they just grow up, like that's just the the normality for them. It'll just be... Yeah, I want, I want them to grow up in a, in a less uh, monochrome world, whereas I, you know, I grew up in a very white world, and, and I discovered Africa when I was 20, as I said, and it blew my mind. And I'd like my kids to to not even have to wait that long or just grow up with yellows and browns and whites and and, and all the different colors and the languages and the, the foods i mean i don't think there's any it's ever too early or possibly they're not going to remember it if we go too early but i just don't th- i don't see any disadvantages and i really don't i mean it's as dangerous you step out of your house in, in any country in any part of the world it is what it is you know you could die that day but I don't think it's any more dangerous out there. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to do it with kids and go back places I've been and reintroduce well, myself to these places, but kind of introduce, you know, small people and their, their, you know, their big eyes for the world to these places and us to see new places together as a family, all four yeah. of us. Well, it ties in with one question that I always ask uh, our guests in the beginning, and it's about um, childhood travel for yourself. What were your childhood yeah. holidays like? Um, oh, I mean, you know, middle class Irish. We were Spain, uh, Fort Reventura. <laughs> I live in Spain now, but I don't remember any of those holidays except for they were <laughs> pools, and we all got burnt, and it was sweets, and it was nice. But it was certainly wasn't the Spain I've gotten to know and love. Uh, but it was uh, sun holidays, you know. Uh, uh, that was it really I mean and that was when things were good I mean was the, if not it was holidays in Ireland to the beach so very very simple I mean my parents never went exotic or you know we never ate Indian food growing up or Chinese food so I probably came to the table late on all that uh, exoticness of the world and the international so maybe that's part of the hunger for it um, uh, but in general yeah very very basic uh, holidays nothing nothing too crazy um, I think the f- I left by the time I was 18 I'd only left Ireland maybe once or twice you know okay yeah it's similar here really like like the, the old Spain pool holidays yeah um, yeah but package lucky holidays get, lucky to get them though I, 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 I speak to a lot of different guests and they, their holidays, some of them never never went abroad or never went more than an hour from the houses. So I just like to get no, like a feel for the... Uh... I appreciate what we have there. Like those were those were foreign holidays, which were packaged holidays and they were cheap, for, you could say, but no, lots of people couldn't afford to even that. So yeah, I mean, it was it was a foreign country. It was very foreign back then, less so now with the European Union and whatnot, yeah. a bit more homogenized. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. So going back to professionally as a tour leader, What's your yeah. favourite type of tour to lead? Ooh, um, 
obviously I like going over many borders. I love crossing borders. I love that nervousness, anxiety about crossing a border. Will everything go okay? Whether I'm on my own or with a group, I kind of get a kick out of that. I don't know if you do, but there's a, that's okay. Let's get, let's get to work. Let's get this done. We got to get through here. I've waited at borders for days on end. I've had lots of drama at borders, lots of police and guns and whatnot, depending on where I've been in the world, obviously with a group less so, but we have crossed you and me some interesting borders like um, from Romania, Moldova, what do you call it? Transnistria together. I mean, those are, I love multi-country tours and that's my specialty as a tour leader. So I do tours from China to, to Istanbul, you know, through five or six countries down the Silk Road. You and I, as you well know, we do tours in Europe, which cross six, seven borders, maybe starting in Spain, finishing in Berlin. So I love crossing borders. I love seeing the difference. I love seeing how things change, how we're all so alike. We're all just cousins and you cross a border and you think it's going to be a huge culture shock, but actually it's just a version of what you've seen. Yeah. And the next country is just a version of, don't, the people there will never admit to that. They'll think they're completely unique if you go from Georgia to Turkey or you go from Iran to Pakistan. But the reality is they have a lot of similarities. Uh, so for me, multi-country trips is, is, I suppose, where I've ended up becoming a specialist. And that's what I like. To, that's where I like to lead, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, starting in one place and finishing somewhere totally different three weeks later. Yeah, so who are those companies that you lead for and who are the, who are the ones to look out for, uh, for listeners? I, I, I work uh, with an English company called Wild Frontiers and they do mostly kind of uh, uh, tours in exotic locations like the Silk Road and the Middle East and, and um, Asia. So they do tours uh, well, all over the world, really. But And then I do tours for Intrepid, which I'm sure your listeners know about, which is which I, I'm, a, I'm a, for them part of the European team because that's my back garden. I do tours in most European countries. Did also uh, do tours for a, a kind of schools company where they bring kids over from America, 50 kids on two tour buses. Did that once or twice. Not for me. Not really my... <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not really... You're Well, you're a... See, People don't know the difference between, I suppose, tour leaders and tour guides. We're mostly tour leaders. We're fixers. We're, we're there to make sure everything goes to plan. And we're there for restaurants and bars and local knowledge. Um, and we have local guides uh, with us. So we don't have to be, I don't have to speak Arabic in, in Oman or in Jordan. I don't have to speak Chinese, although I wish I did. Obviously, the best guides do uh, and tour leaders. But uh, no, we have local people for that expertise. Um, and then, yeah, so those, I, I basically work mostly for, for two, two agencies. Cool. What do you, uh, I say this, this is probably about something deeply psychologically wrong with me, but I hate saying I'm a tour guide. Like, it's like oh, you know, because it's, yeah. it's, tour leader seems, it's a bit generic. Or what do you do? Like, I'm a tour leader. It's like, oh, people are like, oh, what's that? But if you say, oh, I'm a tour guide, and they go, they know what it is, but it's not what you do. Like, <laughs> I hate saying I'm a tour guide. No, the, you know what we've been told with, with interpreters, that a tour leader uh, a tour guide knows everything about something and a tour leader knows something about everything. And I really like that. I know it's a bit yeah. cheesy, but I really like that. We kind of have to have an, people are always have questions and you have to have an answer. And if you don't have an answer, you need to find out and know for the next time someone asks. So what I love about our profession is we're always learning eh? You know, we go somewhere and we come out the other end better ourselves. And each time we come, we, we get better at that tour and at that country. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. Tour guide can be misleading because, People think, oh, people immediately say to me, oh, do you speak Chinese? If I say I do tours in Asia. <laughs> no. So, no, I'm a tour leader. So tour leaders is probably, for me, the tour leaders, the fixer, the the, the getter, the go-getter, the fixing problems, making everyone happy and starting and finishing the tour with everyone alive. Um, that's that's the way I think. I, you, you prefer that too, tour leader? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, tour and guide is not really good. That, I use that phrase quite a bit as well. And it... It's true, really, yeah. isn't it? It's true. It's not. It's cheesy, but it works, and it does give people immediately an impression. Look, I'm not your guy here for this church in Florence. That's not what I do. But we we have this guy. He'll answer the question. Yeah, yeah. But in general, I know when it was built, what it is, and and isn't it beautiful? So you're. I I find also we're kind of management of enthusiasm. We have to make people really excited about what we're going to see tomorrow. And, and uh, we're, you know, we're public relations and we're, we're the fun, we're the people who bring the excitement and the energy, I suppose, to the tour, if yeah, it's not there. Professional um, expectation lowerers. <laughs> also, also, if something is, is yeah, not going to be quite what everyone's expecting, they're all looking forward to that one thing. You're like, look, that's not, that's not what this tour is about. But anyway, <laughs> yes, like managing expectations, another one of our, uh, definitely one of our jobs. 
descriptions. Well, it's great to have you on, Phil. And obviously, we've had a bit of a taste of the earth. You've been around, you've seen, been all over. So I'm more than interested to find out what your travel bubble choices are, really. So I'll jump into the format. You're familiar with the format? I am, yeah. Thanks a lot, Maddie. Cool. So I'll start with, Phil, what is your travel bubble destination number one? My travel bubble destination number one, Matty, and it was difficult, I won't lie, uh, is Ethiopia. Okay. Tell yeah. me more. Um, Ethiopia is wild. Uh, Ethiopia is probably, besides India, but India is a kind of a continent rather than a country, although it is a country. India is from a different planet. It doesn't feel like it's from here and it's mind-blowing and it uh, and it can absolutely uh, overwhelm and, and uh Culture shock, and I love it there, but it's not in my top three. Uh, Ethiopia is because Ethiopia is similarly mind blowing. Have you been, Matty? No, I've not. No, not yet. Okay, well, basically, it's just got so much going on in such a small yet also large country. I mean, it's one of the biggest populations in Africa. It has a huge amount of tribal uh, diversity from the north, south, east, and west. It's Arabic. It's it's kind of it's it's very unique. It's got a like two three thousand year old history. One of the only countries in Africa not to be colonized. Things like that. But more so than that, there's when you arrive there, and I've been many times now. I've been lucky enough to work there a few times, not as a tour guide. And uh, you know, basically things like the year they're seven years behind the rest of the world. So in Ethiopia, the clock it's right now. It's two twenty twenty two. It's twenty fifteen in Ethiopia because they never changed from the Gregorian to the Julian calendar. So they're still, I actually have been in Ethiopia for the year 2000 and I celebrated the year 2007 in 2007 there. <laughs> so that's one thing, right? Their calendar is different. Okay, that's something that's a bit bizarre and it's there, but who looks at the calendar every of the year, every day of, of the year? You don't. But the clocks, the clocks in Ethiopia at six, six in the morning, it's zero. So seven o'clock is one o'clock, eight o'clock is two o'clock. So the clocks in the country go on a different system. So they go by the sun. So it's six o'clock to six o'clock. So just get your head around that. Every taxi, every airport, yeah, every, every every restaurant, where the hell am I? What am I doing? They, uh, you know, they, that is mind-blowingly weird, but brilliant. And that's because that's the way they do it. Very, very independent, very unique country. As I said, they, you know, it's it's a border country as well. So they're, the people are habeshas. So the women have straight hair. They're brownish, blackish, but they're certainly not sub-Saharan African black because they're this kind of crossover country between, they have a Jewish history. They're the, like one of the oldest Christian countries in the world. Um, and they actually are uh, Semites. They came from the, the same people as the Jewish people in, in the Middle East. So they have a different look. They have a huge amount of kind of culture that's only found in Ethiopia. They have their own unique food and cuisine, which I'm sure you'll ask me about. Um, which is also globally cuisine. You can find you can find lots of Ethiopian restaurants here in Madrid and in San Francisco and in London. So it's one of the only uh, African foods that also travels because it's mm. quite special. It's quite yeah. unique. Um, yeah, and they have like they have you know weird things like they're really big into Ethiopian jazz, which is a form of jazz that they took from the United States, but they made it their own thing. Um, you know, God, I could go on and on, Matty. I don't want to bore you and or take up all the time. But in general, it's uh, it's it's got a huge amount of diversity as well when it comes to landscapes. So you've got mountains, the Simia Mountains in the north with ba- baboons. You've got lions in the country. You've got the Danakil Depression over on the uh, east coast, which is bordering with Djibouti, and it's the lowest place, one of the lowest places and the hottest places on earth. And then in the south, it's all... In the south and the west, it's jungle and it's pure, pure Africa with mm. wild animals, elephants and giraffes and whatnot. And yeah, it's just got a lot going on. I mean, I've, I've been many times and I'm still fascinated by the country. It's uh, they've also got great beer. They have okay. a, every 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 county has its own uh, brewery, which is another thing that you don't see in Africa a lot. So and they're mad about coffee because the Italians tried to colonize them and they didn't succeed, but they'd certainly left behind the. Uh, traces of their their world so they're all mad into coffee and coffee ceremony also coffee comes from there so fair enough the Italians didn't give them coffee they just gave them <laughs> a little bit of coffee culture coffee is from there and they all are chewing this thing called cat I don't know if you've heard of it or cat in Arabic uh, which is this 
mild stimulant drug that the whole country's on the whole time chewing. You ever yeah. heard of it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Probably. anyway, so it's big, in, big on both sides of the Red Sea, that the leaf, yeah. So just, Matty, it's layer upon layer of madness. And then you've got Lalibela, the rock-hewing churches in the north, and Axum, and you've got castles, which you don't see in Africa, but they're real castles from way back way back when. And yeah, just a, just a country bursting with stuff to see and do. And, you know, it's difficult travel. So I like countries that are, you know, are hard. You know, it's, it's bumpy roads and, and in the back of pickups and for days on end to get to see the tribes down in the south in the Omo Valley. You know, those tribes that have the big lip and the big ears, those are yeah, from yeah. Ethiopia, Okay, uh, Omo Valley tribes. And um, yeah, man, I, again, I could go on and on. It's a country that has just blown my mind uh, continuously. And it's a country that frustrates as well. It's a difficult place to travel. They're a bit hard on, on white tourists. They're, they're always kind of shouting at you and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, everything rolled into one. It, it just is a place that uh, deserves to be seen and, and deserves to be, uh, you know, discovered. Oh, amazing. So is that your only African country in your travel bubble? Like... No, it is, yes, because I had to leave it there. I'm a bit of an Africa file, yeah, as yeah. I said. Africa's where it kind of started. I've been to 23 or something African countries, so half the continent. Uh, it is the only one in my travel bubble. And actually, it was the only real contender. I love lots of other places like Rwanda, uh, Malawi. I love South Africa's incredible. Obviously, I lived in Kenya for, for five years but I have to say, Ethiopia doesn't have a, doesn't have a, a comparable second. It's it's oh, Ethiopia has a bit of everyone. Ethiopia has a bit of everyone else's. That's the thing. It's a bit greedy. It has kind of the animals, the tribes, the culture, the history. It's got it all. Yeah, so it's a big shout like that like you've chose Ethiopia. It's a, quite the accolade. Um, it, it's, it's on my um, it's on my bucket list. But I suppose it isn't everything. But Ethiopia is certainly high up there. Um, yeah, man, I recommend it. And, you know, I know it's, it's, I'm also one for kind of championing, you know, countries that have a bad rep, uh, as my own country did for, for during the 70s and 80s. And, and many countries still do. You know, another one on my list you're going to see does as well. But Ethiopia, obviously, re remembered for the famine, but so much more than that. Obviously, yes, that happened, but uh, so much more than just starving kids, you know, so, so, so much more. So logistically, if someone's listening and they, they're using this for like inspiration or Ethiopia, they want to go there now. Yeah. You say it's quite difficult to get around. Obviously, it's doable, but what what's it what's it actually like? Is I, I'm I don't know. Is it like can you get the buses and the trains and when I when I say it's difficult to get around, don't, that's you know it's very easy to get. You can fly daily flights from Addis Ababa and trains up to up to see the Rocky churches and that depends on your budget, I suppose. But I mean to get down and see the tribes and there's areas of the country which are still not really networked with roads. But in general, I mean you're going to be on bumpy buses, uh, bumpy roads with with uh, fun buses and stuff like that. So it's real travel, you know, like being in India or like being in South America, or whatever. But um, yeah, you can fly in from most European cities. Um, and I mean, daily flights and it's well connected. Ethiopia has its own airline, as you know, it's quite, quite the international. So yeah, it's, it's not difficult, Matty. Um, no, it's definitely accessible and, and you can travel there. It's not the end of the world, you know? Cool. So I ask you this for every country, but what would be your must do activity or must see, or I think that jumps out for you. If you're going to just choose one thing in Ethiopia, what would it be? Oh, it's so hard again. Um, I mean, I would say the south for the nature and for the wildness and the, you know, the tribes. But I would have to say there's a town called Harare in the east, which is on the train over to Diradawa, which is off. You get the train over to Diradawa, which is on the way over to Djibouti. And it's like the fourth holiest site in Islam. And it's this walled historical city. And there you can um, feed wild hyenas. They have ta not tamed them, but they come to the walls of the city because they used to take babies and kids and stuff so that locals a long time ago kind of figured okay if we give them meat every night they won't be hungry and they won't come for us and you can go there and you can put you can hand meat to these huge hyenas and hyenas are so much bigger than a dog um <laughs> they're huge they huge shoulders and they come up to you they're almost as high as you standing on all fours that is and you can feed them with meat and the locals go out every night and do it and it's a wild experience to be able to get so close to nature um whatever about the people listening who disagree with what the why it's done it is what it is and it's a tradition that's been done there for a long time but i would say something like that it's just a crazy no, experience in ethiopia you can't yeah. really do that in like sheffield can you like, <laughs> uh, i think it's the only place in the world you could do it because it's like 
it's not safe. I mean, the, yeah. what if the animal is very hungry and goes past the meat to the real meat behind, but it's wild. And it, the city is kind of just, just wild as well. Arthur Rimbaud, the poet, lived there in that city for a while. He was a famous traveler back in swashbuckling traveler, died very young, um, famous Frenchman. But anyway, so the city has a lot of history, but it's very tough to pick one thing. But I mean, most people would pick the, the rock hewn churches of Lalibela, but that's not what I would pick. Okay. Well, that's what, that's what it's about. It's about your pick. So I like that. I like it. Um, we've mentioned the, the cuisine. I'm a big fan of Ethiopian cuisine. Excellent. What's your um, like food memory or must-eat dish or must-try food stall in Ethiopia? What, what would it be? Oh, there's a... Well, the street food is all right, but mostly the restaurants are amazing. I mean, they, they have a really good cuisine, local cuisine. They eat in Jera on this kind of mat that you eat. So the food all gets put on top of this. Uh, it's made from teff, a type of wheat that only grows in Ethiopia. Um, and they have, a you know, things like... Uh, Tibs, which is sautéed meat chunks, and just really tasty, really good meat, mostly goat. Uh, and they have shiro, which is a legume stew. It's like a lentil stew, which is really good, really healthy food. Um, and then they have this thing called, I think it's called kitfo, which is raw meat. And I mean, you got to eat it for a laugh. I mean, I've had serious, serious stomach issues after eating it because it's uncooked meat in Africa. And that means a lot of flies and a lot of, who knows, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, environments where, Probably raw meat shouldn't be kept. But anyway, that's a thing that everyone eats. So I think, you know, go to your local Ethiopian restaurant in the town you're from. I'm sure there's one in Sheffield or anywhere. They're they're excellent. We were just talking this week that we're going to have to go to one next to us here that's just opened up. So, yeah, the food. But there's also amazing. The drinks in Ethiopia are the things that are really amazing. As I mentioned, there's a ton of really good beer. And then they have this thing called Tej, which is honey wine. It's fermented wine and it'll blow your mind and it's cheap as chips and people sell it just out out of their houses so you're walking past the house you see a bottle upside down on a stick it means that house is selling you walk in you sit with the family kids and everything running around and you drink with the family and then you pay them and you leave or you stay there all night that (laughs) is wild you don't see that anywhere else i've had some crazy experiences um uh, so the coffee the 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 tedge the wine and the and the beer it's a wild country. They like to party and they like the, their music and they like to dance. So Ethiopia, you know, you need to know how to have fun to, and you'll have fun in Ethiopia. Hi, deal. So country number one, Ethiopia. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we move on? Oh, no, man. As I said, I only scratched the surface. Uh, yeah, no, but I'm, oh, we won't. Uh, yeah, we won't pop, stay on it too long. But anyone, anyone who wants to go, go. It'll blow your mind. Uh, as a first country to visit in Africa, it might be a bit much for people, but I'd go to Kenya first or... Tanzania or somewhere a little bit more used to tourism. Ethiopia is still, still lots of tourists go, but it's fledgling tourism and they go in their vans and they skirt the rea- the reality, which is where I where I, I stayed there. I think I stayed there three months the first time. But no, just go. Just go and support a fabulous country and, and get to know Ethiopia. That's all. Thanks, Phil. So what would be your travel bubble destination number two? Destination number two, uh, not going too far, and I think I discovered them on the same trip originally, uh, is Iran. Okay. Why Iran? After, after my, my, my love affair, lifelong love affair with Africa, uh, it's the Middle East. I love the Middle East. Now, Iran isn't really qu- qu- classified as the Middle East, nor Arabic, so anyone listening that would get me in trouble for not saying that. However, <laughs> in that zone, right? And I ended up... I- I took a boat to the Bab al-Mandeb Straits to, to, to Yemen and went from Yemen, Oman, and ended up taking a boat to Iran. And I ended up staying in Iran for quite a few months. This was on my first trip. I've been back to Iran many times. Iran is one of those countries, a bit like Ethiopia, a bit like Spain, that it's more than one country. It has much more. It's a conglomeration of, of zones and areas and cultures. It's not just one country. I didn't say that about Ethiopia, but that's what Ethiopia is like. It's more than one country. Um, and Iran is like that. North, south, east and west is nothing they're not similar at all. You've got like 7,000 meter mountains, the highest mountain, volcanic mountain, I think in that part of Asia and the highest mountain in the Middle East in the north. You've got kind of tropical green and then in the two deserts in the in the east and then in the west, it's kind of rolling hills and green and they're all Kurds and and, and Iraqis and whatnot. And, and then the south is more Arab and it's on the Gulf. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, it's a country that has probably the friendliest country I've ever been to, which... Um, which anyone who's been to Iran, Iran's like a club. Anyone who's been knows exactly what I'm talking about. 
And it's uh, it's a country that has just really opens its arms to the traveler. They love welcoming travelers. You go there, it's hard to leave. It's one of those countries I have kept going back to and I've been lucky enough to work there as well uh, as, a, as a tour guide this time. Um, so yeah, Matty, just I'll go into some more detail if you want about any specifics, but it's just, it's a country again that belies expectations uh, and 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 all the bad stories told about it. It, it. it really, that isn't the story. The story is is tied up in that, but it's much more than that. So when people say, oh, they're such a friendly people, they're, they're welcoming people. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, just, are they glad Look, to we, see tourists? Because oh, ecstatic! Literally running over to your car. I mean, myself, and my wife drove around there for three months, and in three months, we only stayed in a hotel two nights. People come running up to you and say, "Oh, welcome to Kashan, or welcome to here. You must stay in my house." And you go to their house, and they feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Drive you around to all the sites of the village, and if you don't leave, they will keep you. They will adopt <laughs> you. Uh, so and those two nights we slept in a hotel, we were hiding. I was like, I need a hotel. I need, I need a hotel and I can't sleep in anyone else's house. So in three months, we literally ran away to a hotel. It's hard. They're so, the people of Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, they have this system called taruf, which is a weird uh, kind of cultural thing going back thousands of years where the guest is tantamount. So the guest is everything. And you will get many, uh, many much praise and you go straight to heaven or whatever for treating the guest as the like a shepherdic kind of culture where anyone passing through is seen as 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 a gift to the family and a gift to them. So for them, it's really important. So honestly, we'd have people fighting over us in a nice way. But sometimes actually they were almost getting to fighting over who was going to take us home and take, take care of us. And so basically, you know, we were, we'd be driving around and sometimes we'd put fuel in the car and you go to pay and the guy would say, oh no, that truck driver who just drove off, he, he paid for you. And, you know, you're in a restaurant and you try and pay and someone says, no, 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 that's taken care of uh, by a total stranger. And they don't want thanks. They don't want, your, you know, to know you on Facebook. They just have this culture. And obviously you don't take advantage of it. I mean, we try our best to pay our way, but the reality is, is that they really want to to be like that and i i've heard the same about pakistan and afghanistan i haven't been yet um and tajikistan it's this farsi uh culture that spreads across that zone so just just ridiculously friendly and kind and very well educated nations so they've a lot of english and uh, which is handy when you're traveling it's not not the be all and end all but it is handy so yeah just 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 friendly beyond belief. Um, absolutely incredible. Amazing. So when, when you did this overlanding, are you hiring a car or did you have one your own? Yeah. Overland is my favorite way to travel, as we've mentioned when leading as well. But just going from, we, we drove from Madrid to to, to China and we, we bought a van at 2,000 euros, bought a van and put an Ikea bed in the back, got rid of that pretty quick and then built a better bed. But we lived in that van. So look, there's many I've traveled in Iran by bus and train. It's the first time I went, then they, I've been back in private vehicle. Um, and yeah, so driving around is good because the roads are excellent, really, really, really up to Western standards of infrastructure. So we were driving around. So that was a great way to see uh, a lot of the country. Because, but the transport's excellent as well, I must say, the buses okay. and trains. So what would be yeah. your must do, must visit place in Iran? Um, I mean, you know, Iran is. I think it's one of the, if not the oldest continuous nation on earth or something else. Someone might correct me, um, but it's been, Iran has been basically moved, the borders have moved a bit, but it's been around. So the history is ridiculous. I think it has some of the most, one of, it's in the top three or four of, of UNESCO World Heritage Sites in the world. So there's no end of stuff to see. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, obviously everyone knows Persepolis, which was the, the you know the center of the the universe or the planet at the time when it came to civilizations and it was Sirius the Great and Darius the Great so Persepolis is 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 something incredible to see it's along the lines of the great Greek uh, cities or or Roman etc so that's amazing to see but pretty much you know just the towns like I would say Yazd there's a town in the south and it's in the desert and uh, it has all these uh, incredible, uh, it, it kind of melts into the desert. It's the same color and it has these incredible wind tunnels coming up from every house. And it was this form of ventilation, a form of air conditioning back in the day. And they say it's still better than anything we've invented. Uh, so that, I would say, I couldn't pick just one place, but Esfahan in the South, uh, the, the Nasht Ishana, the, the square, the, I think it's one of the biggest squares in the world after, after, um, Tianmen in, in Beijing. So, you know, the, the culture and the towns and the cities 
are the colors, you know, it's an amazing place for history. It's just falling over each other for, for sites to see. So I would say um, you have to get out and see at least Esfahan, Shiraz and, and Yazd. Um, people pick one or, or the other. Esfahan's probably the prettiest. Uh, there's these incredible bridges. Uh, so yeah, I think the, the sites are, there's no end. Cool. Thank you for that, Phil. And what about a food memory or a dish or something in Iran? Or is one of those things that just Oh, they're great. The thing is, it's, yeah, it's such a huge country um, uh, that, you know, north, south, east and west, they grow everything. They've got an incredible amount of fruit and vegetables. So, you know, you can find there's these incredible things that we found and we used to stop by the side of the road and get them. And they, they're peaches, but they're dried peaches, but they're just, so they take out the water somehow, some magic. And it's just, <laughs> if you can imagine, imagine how good a raisin is. Imagine that by a thousand, because it's a peach with all its power, just uh, uh, gone into a slightly smaller peach dried and you eat it. That's just one example. The fruit is, the fruit and veg is ridiculously good. I mean, they have, as I said, so many different uh, climate zones that they grow everything. You know, saffron is in everything. The food is has a, a bit like Ethiopia. It has its own cuisine. Not every country has its own cuisine that, that you could export. You could have, you know, Persian restaurants in cities around the world. It's conceivable because they have a they have their own, you know, historical cuisine going way back and from all the different tribes and all the different areas of the country. So a lot of rice dishes, a lot of a lot of lamb. Uh, dishes um, uh, on top of rice. So at a wedding or something, it's just a man yeah. on top of the rice. So, and a lot of kebabs. I mean, and I love the Middle East. I love my hummus. I love my kebabs. I love my mutabal, you know, aubergine dishes, a lot of walnut dishes, but, uh, and the kebabs is a staple. So if you're, you know, hungry, just get a kebab, you know, and they're really good, they're really <laughs> good meat, and really good bread. That's the thing, the bread, the bread in the Middle East, no one comes close, maybe India. Uh, but for me, the bread in the Middle East, the Arabs and the, for Persians know how to do it. So for me, the bread, it's the simple things, you know, the bread, the fruit and the juices, you can get a juice at any time of the day or night anywhere. And they're amazing. And they have this thing called dug, which is a, a, a fermented yogurt. They have it in Turkey as well. And in some other Arabic countries and Middle Eastern countries, but it's just a kind of salty yogurt and they serve it with the kebabs and oh man, simple, simple, but exquisite. Oh, amazing. Thanks Phil. Yeah. You're really selling yeah. these countries. Like, yeah. <laughs> the- I try, I try. You know, I'm on tour. This is me, my group. Nah, they, they have their guidebooks. But, uh, I just tell them what I like best. Yeah, class. So we've had Ethiopia and Iran. What would be your travel bubble destination number three? This is tough because, again, and I felt really bad because... I, you know, I must caveat that most of my countries are the places I've had the most wildest experiences and the places I've gone back to. But there's somewhere I've been and I was kind of thinking, you know, do I want to be here for the rest of my life? Um, and I had to pick Costa Rica. Okay. Do you not feel bad that you're, um, you'd never be able to go back to Spain where your wife and your child are from? You'd have to take them away from Spain. Or are you prepared for that? Was I meant to pick Spain? Was that, no, was that no, what you no, were thinking? No, not at all. I'm just trying to make I'm taking it away from you. I thought that was in. No, no. I, oh, man, this is a different conversation if I can't take the <laughs> no, 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 no. She can come, but she can just. Uh, <laughs> she, but you can't live in Spain, basically. Look, those are the travelers that went before us 100 years ago, 200 years ago, getting on a boat and going to somewhere. You you got, you went, you didn't come back. So <laughs> think of those people sometimes that went to South America. No, if I had to go somewhere and never come back, maybe Costa Rica. Yeah, class. So why Costa Rica? Why does it appeal to you so much? Um, Because it's it's the nature. It's, it's uh, you know, it's pure nature. It's, it's I wouldn't say untouched. We're nowhere is untouched, you know, man's by man's hand. But... You know, myself and my wife lived there for a while and we were managing a hotel and uh, we were living in the middle of a jungle and it was 24 hours noise, just the hum of of life. You know, there's uh, frogs, colourful frogs hopping through the property, hummingbirds in the morning, in the afternoons, these uh, orchids just that sprout once every five or six weeks on the trees everything dripping wet and, and humid, but just life, ants that come through the whole house and you think they're going to take the house away, but they actually just leave them. They'll come into the kitchen, cover every surface and then just move through the house. Yeah, so so I think for them. the nature, you got to just leave them. Don't try and yeah, don't get your Zoom can of spray out. You get nowhere. Uh, this is like <laughs> army ants. They're just on their way through your life. That's it. You, they won't sting you. Just, just get out of their way. Um, I think just the pure nature. I mean, 
it blew my mind. It really made me feel small and humble, and uh, and and it was beautiful. You know, from the property, if it's from the right place, you could see smoke coming out of volcanoes. It's it's like a some paradise island. Um, you know, it has two oceans, obviously the, the Pacific and the, the Caribbean. Um, you know, it's big. It, it's just, I think, for the nature. I mean, and it's got Costa Rica has done better than any other country in the world. I think it's got 5% of all the world's plants and animals, all the world's biodiversity in right. one country, which has 0.5% of the landmass. So it's, it's really rich. I mean, obviously it's called Costa Rica, the rich coast, but that, that it really is that rich. So, I mean, there's other countries like you might say Brazil or, or the Amazon, but the way they've managed it um, ecotourism and, you know, they have no army, the way they run, have run their country um, they're, I think they're a zero emissions country and are totally 99% renewable or something like that. I think they, they've got like hundreds of volcanoes. I love volcanoes. I like living somewhere where you feel like you're on planet earth and, and, and that you're not the most important thing on planet earth. And Costa Rica did that to me. It made me feel really special yet really insignificant at the same time. Um, and it's accessible and I speak Spanish and it's nice and food is decent and uh, the people are very friendly, the ticos, they call them, the ticas. Um, so it's a place that just to retire, to kick back and just uh, live in the forests, yeah, live in the live in the jungle, yeah. Class. So how did you end up uh, managing a resort? I think you're the person that introduced <sighs> me to uh, house sitting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've, we've uh, on our trip to China by road, we took some time off to do some help ex or, you know, work away type things where you yeah. help people do their projects and they might give you food or might give you board. And then through that, we ended up getting onto, the, onto my, my house where we would mind people's homes while they were away and they wanted someone in the house. And sometimes they'd leave you with their car and leave you with their, you know, the keys to their wine cellar and whatnot. People are very generous when they trust you. You have to get into their confidence. It's good. it's good when that happens. So we have done that in a few countries, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Sri Lanka, Greece, and um, Costa Rica. This came up that someone was looking for uh, someone to mind their business, to run their business while they were away for six months. So we we did that. We applied for that and we became quite good friends with them and we managed their business for a little cut of the earnings. So we were lucky. We lived in their well-made, beautiful house in the middle of the jungle and we welcomed guests every day and we cooked for them. And we were the, we were the proprietors, you know, it was lovely. And uh, we were, we had nice quiet days. We had to do the, we did everything. We had no cleaners, no help, except for the one gardener, guard, gardener, the good one gardener. Um, and that was it. We did the washing, we cleaned the rooms, we cooked the, the lunch and dinner and uh, sold them wine for a little profit and whatnot. So it was a lovely experience. Uh, we'd love to do it again. And we did it after that, we ended up doing one in Sri Lanka. So yeah, got just got fell into it, Matty, a bit like me passing it to you. I don't covered any of this information it's for sharing i heard it off someone and i pass it on to someone and it works for some people and it doesn't work for others you know <laughs> sounds really fun so costa rica yeah, it, was. it comes up um on in the travel bubble because, because mainly for the nature and like the just beautiful and like you say wild what would be your must-do activity or uh oh good, good good question i mean uh oh volcanoes staring into the poas volcano which i think is the widest volcano crater active volcano crater in the world. Um, just the Cordillera that cuts through the middle of the island. Drive, rent a car, it's cheap. The roads are excellent. And drive from one coast to the other. Drive to see the Caribbean. And they speak English over there. They're Jamaican. They're kind of Caribbean Creoles. And and the difference between one coast and the other is huge. So uh, must must do activities. I mean, I did a, we did an amazing, uh, uh, what do you call it, zip line across the canopy of the jungle. And it's yeah. you know, it's incredible incredible thing to do um but for us we're not really you know ticking off all the activities we're more just drive and eat and meet the locals and get lost and uh, have a beer we're more living with living with the locals people so activities in costa rica i don't think we did much we were working there as well we couldn't leave the property um so yeah just just getting uh, getting in deep down and dirty with the locals and finding a local bar and and uh and get to know their locals that's what i'd say that's my favorite thing as well so yeah. the, the resort management, did you get that through house sitter or my, my house or that sort of vibe? My, my, my house.com, my, my house. Yeah. No, just my, no, it's the same site as mine. Basically it's, yeah, there's the same site, but sometimes rather than people having a horse and a property or a cat here in Spain at the coast, they have actually like a business and they can't, they need you to more than just sit. They need you to run it, but it's rare. We haven't seen that come up much, but it came up and we, we did it. You know, we're still oh, friends with the people. 
Yeah. So yeah, I recommend that to anyone. We've had lots of fun with that. I have to say, uh, uh, you know, they prefer uh, couples because you're kind of more trustworthy. I think they prefer people without families because there's less messing. So I don't know how, how much longer our credit line will go with that company, but we'll see. Uh, we'll still try. We get offers all the time, actually, because our profile is quite it's quite a nice profile. We have good recommendations, you know, good reviews. Class. So uh, Costa Rica, food, food or drink? Yeah, the food now, I might say, I might add, it isn't as good as the last two countries that I mentioned. It doesn't have its own cuisine. You will not see a Costa Rican restaurant. Well, you might hear in Madrid and in other places where there's migrants from Costa Rica. It's quite basic, but I like basic sometimes. And it's all beans and rice, black beans and rice and plantains, which are, which is a great Great plate of food, you know, uh, so things like that. And uh, the fruit. Oh, I mean, that's another thing about living there. I mean, obviously, everyone knows it's where your pineapples and bananas come from, the Honduras and Costa Rica and whatnot. But, you know, to cut open a, 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 a pineapple from, you know, just literally cut out of the field and into your hands and eat it, or a guanabano, you know, fruit that huge big fruits that grow on trees there and that are just so tasty. There's no comparison to what we get here. So the fruit and the juices and things like that, as well as just your beans and rice and your plantains. So those are my those are my foods in, in Costa Rica. Oh, Simple, um, but nice. Yeah, we're, you can get meat too, but we're not big meat eaters. So, uh, we, well, so it's okay when you want it, yeah. Amazing. So we've had three countries. We've had Ethiopia, Iran, and Costa Rica. They're locked in. They're your travelable destinations locked in. So thanks, Phil. Now, I'm going to ask you one more country, and that's your wildcard country. And that's, that's somewhere that you've never been to, but you can have it in your travelable destinations as well. Is that to visit, though? Somewhere I would love to visit. Well, it's up to you, so you can Because this country basically. I'm going to mention... You've got Ireland. I'm not going to... Yeah? And you've got have I got countries. Ireland? You've got Ireland. I'll give you Ireland for free. Um, okay. And so then you've got one more that can be in your bubble. So these are the only five countries you'll be able to go to for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, that's difficult because I was actually thinking it was just somewhere I'd really like to go to. Maybe no, I, no. I didn't read the notes. Um, <laughs> no, the, well, this is so I, so, well, so you want, so. you, want to, you want me to do the country I was going to say because that's the country I'll be stuck in. North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm not sure I'd like to be stuck there. You could stay in Costa Rica every so often for a culture shock, you could go to North Korea. Yeah, no, let's stick with, let's stick with North Korea. Actually, why not? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's somewhere I don't know anything about. It's somewhere that's unknown. And as a traveller, that's what you want. That's what I miss most during the pandemic is I want to see a new street. I want to walk down a new street. I want to see new things. Just want that feeling, you know, that mm. drug. So mm. somewhere like North Korea, it doesn't scare me at all. I know it is a bit of a basket case, but so are some other countries I've visited. And when you realize they're not so much when once you've been inside, like Eritrea or, or Yemen or, or whatever, Syria so, or Sudan. But I don't know, just somewhere new and somewhere completely. It is one of the last bastions of travel because it's out there on its own. Uh, so, yeah, if I could be in Costa Rica and have somewhere else more exciting to go and I could nip over, then I would pick somewhere like somewhere new, somewhere somewhere way out there, like like what Ethiopia was to me when I first went or Iran. You know, there's there's, there's still countries like that left and, and North Korea would be one for me. Uh, so, I mean, again, that means I can never go back to Ireland or Spain, which is problematic, but uh, we'll no, say it's you've all... Got Ireland, though. You've got, you have got Ireland, though. I've got Ireland. I've got Ireland. I've got to go back to see my family. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, is that does that is that valid or would you like me to, to roll again? No, that's fine. Like, uh, North Korea, <laughs> good. You've got you've got four in the bag. This is just like a, a bit of a bonus. So okay. North Korea sounds okay, good Okay, four me. in the bag. Yeah, and I'd have to go back to Ireland. I love Ireland. I'm not one of these people that, that I've left and I go back as much as possible, but Ireland's home and it always will be. You're only from one place, I say. I'm sure some people say you can be from more than one place, but uh, that's home. So that's good. I'm glad that's in there. Adia, thanks, Phil. So the travel yeah. destinations locked in. Thank you for those. Before you go, Phil, I want to ask you some like generic travel questions, if that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Perfect. Tell me. So. Sure. Start off with a big hitter. What would be your top travel tip for someone about someone listening? Top travel tip. Oh, it's got to be just go. I mean, I, I think the best uh, advice, I, I don't think anyone gave it to me, but something I learned to do quite early on is just go. Don't plan it too much. I, I never get visas ahead of time. I love waiting in countries 
weeks on end with other travelers and being stuck in a hostel because the board, the, the, the embassy's closed for two weeks for a national holiday, you know, just go figure it out on the road. Uh, this is obviously easier with overland travel because you just kind of got time that and, and one way tickets always fly with a one way ticket. You never know what's going to happen. Get a ticket at the other end. If you travel with a one way, if you just leave and you don't have a return ticket, say you're coming back for a wedding or, or a, whatever, something in the future that you need to be back for, that's fine. But don't book that ticket. Leave it open because the way you see the world, the way you wake up every morning in a hotel, in a hostel, the way you travel will change if you do not have an end in sight. If, if it'll, you're just more open to saying yes to invitations. And also, it's another piece of advice. Say yes to all invitations. Um, so just go and don't overplan it. Uh, don't overthink it. Don't overbuy guidebooks. Just go. People are very kind out there and they'll, they'll help you as you go. We literally just ask a local and they will take care of you or help you or give you the advice or tell you to go right or left or not to go straight if there is danger or whatever ahead. So so just that really, yeah, just go and don't overplan it. Perfect. Thanks, Phil. I can see a, a license plate up on the behind you in your beautiful house. Ah, so well this- flooded. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, but this is this is a question relating to what is your favourite souvenir or something that you've taken away from your years of traveling and being on it's the so road. So funny you me- so funny you mentioned that. But that's the that's the license plate of the van we drove in for seventeen months to China. Oh, cool. So that is Macarena. That she lives with us. She's she's gone now. She's in Kyrgyzstan. We left her behind. But that's her up on the. So that's a souvenir. We have very very few little trinkets in the house. Little memories. We're not. We never, and I never really buy anything, mostly because I, I, the more you carry, the more you buy, the more you had to carry. And, and I didn't know when I was going home or, um, or, or when the trip would end. So I was, I got into a habit of not buying any souvenirs. Um, again, like I said, at the start of the call, and I hope this doesn't sound really cheesy, but I've got them all up here. Everything important to me is memories. And those memories are probably evolving into stories that didn't happen. They're probably uh, getting a bit wilder every time I tell them. Uh, but that's, for me, the real travel was was just just that you're left with your memories. People always said to us, did you blog or why don't you blog? And we know, personally, no, no, I don't want to. It's for doing and sharing with the people in front of you rather than the bigger sharing with the global uh, uh, online community. But uh, so really, oh, uh, drink, just trinkets. So there's another thing on the wall over there, which is from Lamu in Kenya, which is just the thing, the things they put on the side of the dows. It's a little uh, star and crescent. So little memories, there's a Ugandan doll over here and a uh, woman in the traditional dress. I've got a poster from Kenya here, something else from Iran on the wall, uh, some uh, Farsi script. So I do have little things, yeah. Hungry at map behind me on the wall, Budapest. So, but that's it, yeah, little things to remind me myself, but um, don't really buy uh, anything unless it really grabs me. Yeah, I like it. So out of interest, where have you lived, like lived? Um, I've lived in Argentina, in Yemen, uh, in London, UK, Hungary, Sri Lanka, Costa Rica, um, uh, India. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, for varying it? amounts of time. I've, I haven't lived on all of them for years. I'm, I mean, but uh, been there and stayed and, and decided to do something or was working there. So those are the places I'd be. And Kenya, sorry. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> so we talk about all the positives of traveling, like, oh, it's amazing, dead good. Have you ever been in yes. any sticky situations or any like real danger while you've been, on, while you've been around? Yeah, 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 I've been in real danger loads of times. <laughs> Is there any that spring? I've, uh, I've been. I've I've had a knife held to my neck a couple of times. A guy I was with was stabbed when I was in Ethiopia. Interesting. Uh, that's the first country I mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, I went to some. I went probably went down some streets I shouldn't have went down. I don't blame anyone but myself for getting myself into situations. Um, I was robbed in Bolivia at knife point. Then again, I was robbed in Dublin when I was twenty. You know, at, at knife point as well. So you don't have to leave your own country to be in these situations. Um, have I been in any other sticky situation? Just yeah, just the odd rob, being robbed a few times. Never, never been hospitalised. Thank God. I've had uh, malaria. I've I've had some you know the sick travel sicknesses, which which I suppose get us all if you're adventurous and you eat what's put in front of you. Um, but um, stickier situations than that. No, just some border issues in certain countries where you know overzealous uh, border guards requesting bribes. I've had to pay bribes in a numerous amount of countries. 
or just negotiate rather than just pay. And it's always fun and it's part of the travel experience in, in depending on where you go. Um, so, but that's about it, really. Just the kind of muggings uh, uh, and that's, I've been, yeah, a few couple of dodgy money changers who hasn't had their, yeah. who hasn't been ripped yeah. off by some scam under a bridge in, in Istanbul. But uh, but that's a good story because the guy ripped me off and I went straight back to him. I me- really Im- immediately realized what he'd done. You know, it was a ha- it's slide a hand thing. He was changing 20 euros for local money. And it was so good what he did that I went straight back to him. Not angry, but like, man, man, don't worry. I'm not going to call the police. And you have to show me how you did that. And he laughed and he showed me how he did the trick. And I was like, You're, that's brilliant. Well done. That you deserve the money. Have a good day. I'll never forget it. I smiled and I said that he deserved the money. That was brilliant. You know, it was yeah, just yeah. a slight of hand. And if you've been done like that and you can, appre- you can appreciate <laughs> the skill and the art to being done. I'm a, hus- I'm a hustler. He's a hustler. <laughs> Fair play to him. He deserves every penny he gets doing it. Uh, so, yeah, but no, I've been very lucky. I haven't had, lost much money or passports or had any drama, but I've been in some, some sticky situations in crossing African borders mostly or, the, or Central Asia where things are still a little corrupt um, but that's about it I always say that everything always works out in the end really and, and it, I suppose you're still here to tell the tale so it, it certainly did yeah I mean you know things can go really really south really quickly I mean but you're just watching out for the signs and you know when to get out of town or get out of a situation or to stop bargaining and just pay you know we're very fortunate where we're from and our passports and the value of them and, and also the value of the colour of our skin and whatnot it's horrible but it's reality so you know just just, I suppose, being street smart, Matty, which you and I need for being tour leaders, and it's something you learn through experiences, good and bad. I probably learn more through the bad ones when things go wrong. Um, so, yeah, just just keeping your head on your shoulders and, and trusting in people, um, really. Have you got one of those like travel anecdotes that you pull out, uh, like dinner parties or... One of that one go-to travel story. I know, I'm sure you've got millions. I know you've got millions. Have you got one that springs out to mind? Uh, I, I don't really. I mean, well, one, one, one does spring to mind. When I, when I was living in Yemen, and I was I ended up, got a fishing boat across the, for 20 US dollars. I paid a fisherman to take me across 18 hours across the Bab el-Mandeb, the Straits of Death between Djibouti and, uh, and, and Yemen before the war. And I arrived on a beach and the guy said, he just dropped me on the beach and he said, uh, if you go into that town over there, just as there's a, there's a uh, security guard in a booth and he'll, he'll, he's a uh, customs. He'll, and I walked up to the guy and he's like, where the hell did you come from? Like, <laughs> in, you know, this is not an English, but whatever. And he's like, so he gave me a visa, which is, no, I did have a visa. That's true. He couldn't give me a visa, got into the country, but I ended up being in the country for a while and there was no backpackers. So I ended up falling into a crowd of, expatriates, people who worked in the embassies and whatnot. And I ended up getting invitations to embassy dinners. And one night I was invited to an embassy dinner. The wife of the Italian consul was Irish. So she took me under her wing and I'm sitting at a table and I've got the Dutch ambassador, the American ambassador. There's tanks outside because they came to protect this dinner. So the American ambassador, imagine in, in Sana, and I'm there with the Italian ambassador, Dutch, the American, and they all think I'm her son. <laughs> and they all start, they just took me in and I'm like, she's just an Irish woman. I'm an Irish guy. I'm some backpacker. And then she's like, oh no, no, Philip's just traveling. He works in the newspaper now. I ended up staying there for quite a while in Yemen, but it was just, I really felt like this was real travel. And I've really, I've gotten somewhere really interesting. You feel like you're in the pages of a Graham Greene novel, you know? So yeah, something like that. Again, there's many anecdotes, but that just came to mind. Yemen for some reason. Yeah, that's said. good. Like That's what I want. I want one of those like, I love that. Perfect. Thanks, Phil. Before I let you go, thank you so much for coming on. But is there anything else you'd like to say? Any any words of wisdom or messages you'd like to pass on? Or are you happy with happy with that? No, uh, I, I there is a yeah, well, there's a, a quote that I have on my business cards for uh for a while now, but it's always just been embedded in my head. And I don't know when I read it, probably traveling romantic in some hostel in Istanbul or somewhere, but it's really stuck with me and it's really done me well. And it's by Mark Twain. And it's 20 years from now, you'll far more regret the things you didn't do than the things you did. Now, most people think that's the quote, but there's actually a nicer part is the second part. It's 20 years from now, you'll far more regret the things you didn't do than the things you did. So throw off the bowlines, sail away from the safe harbor, explore, dream, discover. When He's one of my heroes, Mark Twain, and, and I just love I love that quote. It means just go, just do it, and you'll have those memories like gold forevermore in your head. It's fabulous. Ah, what a way to finish, Phil. Well, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I. That's a beautiful oh, quote. Thank you. <laughs> so I love it. 
No, it's my quote. I, I, I took that one a long time ago as one of mine too. I don't say it very often, but I think it very often. Mm-hmm. If I'm I, thinking I need to move, I need to move. I think of that. Just sail away, sail away from this safe harbor. Well, I get again. that. I get like this, this guilt. I've been, I've been in there for well, this one place for the longest I've been in for a while now. And I don't it's not, it's not like a guilt, but it's like a, a certain like a weight. It's like a weight of just wanting to get away again. No, man, you tell me about it. I think we must, all of us travelers and, and leaders and feel it. I feel, I feel you're dying, man. You're dying. <laughs> you got to move. Yeah, you're slowly, we're all dying. Yeah. Everyone's dying daily. But it's like, time is short. You've got your health. You can, it's time to go. But I'm a kid now. I'm work. I'm planning on it. The seed is planted, saving a bit of money. We're going to go. We're looking at vans. And we just got to go. I can't leave tomorrow, but that's even, I hate that I have to say that, but I could, I could just leave tomorrow. I mean, that's what I, my philosophy, but I'm going to do what I'm doing. This is a project too, but yeah, I feel, I feel you, man. Uh, a wait for you, for me, it's, yeah, the itchy feet are back, eh? I want to go. I, I just want to see something new. Well, I'm sure you will, Phil. And thank oh, you yeah. so much for sharing all these, all the stories with us today. Thanks for coming on as well. Thank you so much, Maddie. I can't wait to see you out there traveling again uh, on, on, on work or, or just socially. Uh, if, if people, I know you're in Madrid, if people wanted to like, I know you do occasional tours of Madrid. If people wanted to find you, what's the best way of? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a tour guide here now in Madrid. I do, I do hiking uh, tours in the mountains every weekend. So I'm a hiking guide and I'm a tour guide here in, in the city for urban adventures and for Intrepid. Um, but the my Instagram is at Run Guide Hike R U N G U I D E H I K E, and that's where I post most of my hikes and my running tours. Um, so it's basically yes, it's pretty, something pretty new. My Instagram, so it's at, at Run Guide Hike. If anyone wants to join, and that's it. Yeah, um, if they're in Madrid, look us up. I'm a couch surfer since forever, so you're very welcome to come and hang and sleep and stay the night or anything. Um, get in touch if you have any questions about Madrid. Happy to help. Uh, all free of charge of course oh, well thank you very much Phil that's amazing hey, amazing Maddie. great to chat and great to be on uh, Travel Bubbles super love your love your work you have been listening to episode 45 of Travel Bubble with me Matty Dias and my guest today Philip McAllister if you like that episode well go and shout about it tell your friends tell your neighbours Tell your friends' neighbours, tell your neighbours' friends. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And go and check out our website, travelbubblepodcast.com. You can find Philip on social media as well as Run Guide Hike um, on Instagram. And he's, he's worth a follow. See his exploits over in Madrid. Um, and follow his life over there in Spain. He's a great guy and I'm sure you could listen to him for hours because I, I certainly could. He can certainly tell a tale. So thank you so much for Philip for being a guest. Um, And I thank you for listening as well. I'll be back again next week. I will love you and leave you because, like I say, I'm in a graveyard in Hot Whistle looking even dodgier than I usually do. Don't forget to visit our website and like and share our posts. I've been Matty Dias. My guest this week has been Philip McAllister and you've been a wonderful listener. Goodbye.